Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour. I'm your host, Nicholas Thicket. And I'm Morgan Smith. Here we dive into a world dominated by outdated playbooks and old school tactics to compare the B2B companies that are achieving sales at scale and making real money in the process. Join us for weekly interviews and live shows with industry experts and senior leaders diving into the go-to-market strategies that built their success. Now, on to today's episode. Good morning, Morgan. How are you this fine freezing Friday? (laughs) I'm doing well. It's actually, it's not as chilly here as it is I know up there, Uh, but we had a nice little cold spell recently, so I'm still, it's still sweater weather without a doubt. And uh, happy Friday to you as well. It's great to be here. Yeah, and it's always it's always interesting when we post a topic, and we get people blowing up my DMs. Yeah, and it it's interesting to hear what questions we get, or what statements. And this one has been a resounding hate. Yeah, <laughs> which is really interesting because you would think there would be a, quite a variety of experiences. But I would say actually closer to 90% have been just hatred or anger mm. or frustration. And it's really just been a lot of venting because sales management seems to be a dying art. Yeah. Well, what's the old adage? People quit their boss, not their job. Yeah. And I think to today's topic, how to manage a remote sales team, it's all about, yes, the art of sales management, thinking about not just... I don't know, executive level level leadership, although it's important. It sets the tone, it sets the direction and all the rest. We're really thinking through for each team, whether it's a territory or it's a specific function of a sales department or it's a specific part of your account strategy. Like there's so many layers there that we've heard this week don't work. (laughs) And uh, when we say don't work, it's not that the sales professionals doing the work aren't you know doing their job it's often that at least what i heard was they don't feel supported they don't feel like they have the right skills they feel like they're measured on the wrong things especially nowadays with remote sales teams versus in-person sales teams there's cultural issues it's sort of the the whole gamut of uh management problems (laughs) at companies so hello to everyone joining us this morning Thank you for being here. If you're here, just drop a hi in chat. We'd love to say hello to you as well. And uh, I think let's just dive in, Nick. Where do you want to start? So we'll go over a few things. I know some, I'm going to get people some nodding their heads as I go through this. But the hardest part about sales management right now is that a lot of it hasn't adjusted. And so a lot of it is about justifying your time. And it's super ironic. And please chime in on the comments. But my entire career for the first 80% was all commission-based. I never actually got a salary. So you're paid on results, yet you're judged on hours and activities. Mm. Mm -hmm. So why why would you want to go and look at hours and activities? Well, to me in a performance management world where you actually give a shit about your people, which is not the case in most parts is because you want to help. And so companies that are killing it right now, where they're winning is they're actually putting their metrics around people 
and process. And this is the thing where most people, this whole thing about is cold calling dead or emails dead is because they don't have metrics around that process. And they also don't have metrics around any other new process to go and see if it works better or not. Mm -hmm. And so then, okay, if the process is failing, why are you penalizing the person? If the yeah, why measure failing, cold calls if the process you've built to support your cold calls doesn't work in the first place? Exactly. So you got to mm-hmm. really look. What are you judging? What are you tracking and why? And I'll throw in a third one is pipeline or at least predicting what that quarter is going to look like. And you need it for accounting. I need to know what I'm going to make in order to know what I need to spend or what, what I can spend, Right. I'm not going to get into that so much today, but I need you guys. And if you need help with your sales managers, please bring them into this, you know, send this to their way. But it's time that we change the metrics in order to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Nobody needs this Nazi leader trying to go and control their every move working in their own home, because if they can't see them, they feel like they need to control them. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, Eddie, exactly. If you're if you're commission based, unless you're there as a manager empowered by the company to go and support them to grow their commission base, to grow their accounts, grow the logos on the, you know, the landing page, there's no point. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, just to dive in, even if they are salaried or they're not a hundred percent commission based, I'm personally not I mean how to say this appropriately. (laughs) You've hired adults. You haven't hired children. Like even if they're young, those adults have like rent to pay and family to deal with and their life to configure. And yet in these companies, they're in my view, tracking or micromanaging specific activities, not from a coaching perspective, not from a hey, this email looked good. Let's look at different ways to improve your response rate. But instead, did you send your 100 emails? Why aren't you getting response rates? Right? Those are two very different tones. All of that is, in my view, treating employees like children. Like, and and the, there's no other way that I know how to say that. And it's to me, it's inappropriate. Not because you don't want performance management. But it sets the wrong tone, right? It sets a tone with your team that says, all I really care about is whether you're doing these pre-assigned things I assume. And then we wonder why there's turnover. It's like, come on, people. People are going to quit jobs when they feel like they're being monitored by, yes, either SaaS Big Brother, like Eddie says in the comments, Mm -hmm. or by their own boss. Because it's it's all of this micromanaged approach to your day-to-day activities. At the end of the day, you've hired adults. You've hopefully hired fairly skilled people. And if they don't have the skills, then in my view, it's your job to help build those skills. Not, you know, punish them. And uh, I don't know. There's a whole sort of management literature here that (laughs) I could go off on. But before we go too far to that, Nick, um, let's continue. Okay. I'm actually going to pull up Tracy's (laughs) comment because this is a good place to take it next. What metrics should we track to be helpful? Great question. Right now, only tracking meetings booked as we know the leads to sales. Okay. So 
there's different levels of metrics depending on not only what you're tracking, but where you are. Mm -hmm. There's a kickoff tracking where you're tracking a lot more detail to get the ball rolling. And then there's metrics later to make sure it's still healthy. You got to, you got to think about it in a few different ways. Part of a company is market research and knowing where the, where the world is going. And so you want to track the process what, how, how are people responding to you? What is the best, me best method to get in front of them? You know, maybe it's a live show. Maybe it's a podcast, but you don't know if you're not tracking the right things. So Tracy, in particular, LinkedIn right now is a powerful, powerful option. And so one of the things I track every week is how many people did I connect with? From those people, how many people connected? So I know my ratio. Of the people that connected with me, how many had a conversation with me out of those conversations? How many people actually went to a meeting and from a meeting, how many of them became a customer mm -hmm. and then you can scale it. You can actually take the same approach with cold calls and emails. How many people did I call? How many people picked up? How many people did I have a conversation with and do basically the same metric. And that's a place just to te test the tactic. And then once you've tested the tactic, you can also look at the process. So, and like Refine Labs talks about this all the time, where, how did they hear about you? And how was that captured? Was it on your website? Did they send you a LinkedIn DM? You want to only pick a few. Mm -hmm. You can start with more, like the ones I listed where it's how many requests did you send? How many people connected versus how many people message versus meetings versus close? You can do that to start, but the goal is to do it in the background where it's not obtrusive. Mm -hmm. So the, like, the other thing that uh, comes to mind on this is, mm -hmm. and this is a difficult conversation to have if you're not a sales manager <laughs> with your sales manager, that there are activities that aren't um, quantitative that there are qualitative metrics. And so some of what Nick was just hinting at, which I personally love, is the experimentation in your messaging and positioning of a product, especially if you're not forced to use an outbound cadence, for example, where your company says, here's the cadence that we use, use it. And that's like, ugh. But it, and you're allowed to experiment with it or you're allowed to change, and you should, the way that you approach different stakeholders, you are going to build an intuition, which in this case is really a wisdom, an earned wisdom, a sense of what sorts of things different kinds of personas at your ICP companies are going to respond to. And that's real value that you as a salesperson have that isn't going to show up on a dashboard. But does need, and at least I'm sure I can speak for Nick here, part of a shared conversation as an entire revenue organization in the utopian sense, like that's the best companies out there. Marketing and sales should be sharing that kind of knowledge about what messaging and positioning works. But at the basic level, I believe sales companies uh, or sales organizations need to be sharing that uh, amongst the team. Because if you know that when you reach out to VPs of finance, for example, let's say that's a persona that you go after at your companies, and you experimented with a new kind of call or script or email or LinkedIn DM approach, and that works, that's getting you to your meetings booked at a much higher rate than other cadences, 
Is that a metric? No. But it is value that you now know as a part of your outbound process that should be a part of the um, performance management conversation, at least in, in my view. As you were talking, I was thinking there's three things that every sales manager should be tracking. Market, people, process. And it's really hard to go and figure out is what are those metrics that you need to track? No more than three, preferably one or two. In each of those buckets, that market people process. Yeah. And then look at how you can implement it in your CRM. And we can dive into that more. But for me, one of the things when I was in sales management that I tracked was pipeline, close, and retention. So what is your pipeline at? If your close rate dropped below a certain rate, then I would, then it was a, or if your pipeline was too small, I knew that I needed to coach you. But why, if your pipeline's healthy and it's not artificially inflated to justify space, which is part of, it's a culture problem more than it is a people problem. Why do I need to go and know what you're doing? Unless I want to know what you're doing because you're doing it so damn well that I need to make sure everybody else starts doing it too. And then I might get them to help me go and set up the process metrics. Market, process, people. And just to clarify, when you say process metrics, what's the universe of measurables there? Like what are different things that people could measure in process? One thing they should check, deal stages, Mm -hmm. like your actual sales process. But even going to like, how are you getting meetings? So you use the LinkedIn. Like I was talking about, like if you're if you're leaning more on connection requests than DMs, then you go connection requests, how many accepted? But what you do is you put it into bite-sized pieces to find the sticking point. And the hardest part is keeping it simple. When you have too many pieces, you might get focused on things that don't really matter. And then what did Elon Musk say? The problem with most engineers is because they're trying to improve things that shouldn't exist in the first place. In yep. sales, we do that all the time too. We're, we're trying to go and sell something that's not a problem. We're trying to you know, chase an account that doesn't need us at that time. And so when we take this approach of measuring market people and process, there's always a priority that we can chase. Okay, so what is the what is the purpose of this quarter? Are we going to be pushing for a new market? And we need to know a lot more about it. So in that market, what are some of the firmographics that we need to know to go and get a good list? Okay, what are some of the psychographics that tell us that they are a perfect fit, that we are the best person to help them? And who in that process should we be talking to? That could be your market. People. I would just do pipeline, close, and retention. And I think it's so critical to get away from focusing on closing as much because right now, one of the biggest issues I keep hearing tons of sales managers is I need to get new logos. I need to open new business. I need to be doing more calls. I need to be doing more emails. And I'm like, well, you guys are you know, privately funded and just went through a funding round. And your retention is so low that your cost of getting that new business and with your actual margins, you're actually not making money in the first year. It's actually the second or third year. Mm -hmm. 
So you're actually losing by focusing on new business. Like you're actually digging a hole and basically you're gonna have to keep financing yourself to eventually go and get scale so that you're actually not digging a hole. Mm -hmm. You can only get away with that for so long. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so critical to go and be tracking the right things. Cause as a sales manager, one thing I do not hear talked about enough, and it doesn't matter if you're in the, I've talked to people high up in banking and financial. I've talked to people in business software, uh, IT, and I asked them, okay, for your people, what is the average margin that they're selling their business at? So even if, so if their closing's fine, put in profit. Yep. Because if they're not selling at a premium and they're always discounting, that talking about Eddie had mentioned it about a positive reputation. How do you go in an easy way to kill your reputation is make promises you can't keep or mm-hmm. sell business that you can't maintain. And and certainly at a higher level, Nick, what comes to mind as you bring this up is, and th- this is not always a conversation that individual sales teams are empowered to um to have, but is certainly or should be a discussion at the C-suite. And depending upon the size of your company, there might be some layers there. Is if your sales team is selling to companies that are really expensive and time intensive to onboard, then retention is even more valuable because those companies you want to have stick around. But if there's not, um, we've talked about on previous live shows doing a win-loss analysis. So in a win-loss analysis, you're looking at the 10 last deals that the company won and the 10 last deals that the company lost and also why. And certainly there's customer interviews and all the rest of that. But part of that win-loss analysis is really understanding what margin did we even make on these customers? And chances are, even in a good company, you may have a fairly tailored ICP, but you might serve, let's say, two or three different industries at a very specific sense. And that Mm -hmm. win-loss analysis is going to help you understand which of those industries are the most profitable to your company. And then that information can go to your sales team, and your sales team can actually do something with that. But to what you're saying, Nick, that I really like and just want to affirm is, there's a bigger conversation in sales than just, did I get a meeting booked for this next sale? It's the market questions. Is it the right firmographic and psychographic profile in the right market? It's the people questions as to, even if we win this deal, is it going to be a, a, a worthwhile deal to our company? And then lastly, I know you're going to get into process, which is a whole other conversation, but but that there's it, um, sales teams... And sales managers especially need to help their teams think bigger than just the next deal that hits pipeline. There's the strategic questions in the business as to, is this even a worthwhile customer? And I'm sure, and (laughs) we don't have to go down this rabbit hole yet, I'm sure that some of those incentives for those conversations get skewed based on how much of their sales staff is paid by commission uh, because of the incentives to just score the next deal to get paid. So one of the best things that ever happened to me was also one of the worst things that ever happened to me. And it's when I had on my insurance brokerage, we were comped based on retention. Hmm. And if the business fell off the books in the first two years, we had to pay back a, a portion. They actually had a sliding scale based on when they 
when they gave up. Think about that. Think about how our compensation plans are changing the way things are done. I was talking to a very large bank in private banking and they they comp everything off a of top line revenue yet they've they there's no factoring in if the business should have been placed in the first place or if it's even profitable. Yeah. So what happens if you go and pay your your commission to your salesperson and they did their job that you compensated them for yet it was actually not profitable business. But see, this this is the problem. We're looking at RevOps and we're trying to control activities and we're not looking. The whole point of this is to create a market that's profitable that we can do the best work for. And so it's not about should we be cold calling? Should we be emailing? Should we be social selling? It's first and foremost, are we selling profitable business? And I think that's the problem that I'm seeing most is how do you do sales at scale if you're not making money? it's really hard to finance growth when you're not doing that. And then, so I'll give you an example for, uh, you'd ask me about uh, process Morgan. Mm-hmm. So say we're talking with a rep and we're noticing that their pipeline is really weak. So everybody's at, you know, a million dollars in pipeline. So they did, I'll give you an idea of what, like, what's a good goal. So say to hit your growth goals, you got, I'll make it even simpler just so that I can do the math in my head. But um, so say that you, the company needs to hit a million dollars. And so your quota being the only salesperson is a million dollars, right? Okay. So now your goal then shouldn't be a million dollars. It needs to be more. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's one and a half. And let's, so let's say that the average close rate is 20%. So if it's 20%, so we're doing five times at one and a half. Mm-hmm. How's your math this morning? Because my brain is toast. I mean, that's uh, seven million maybe? Seven and a half? Yeah, around there. So that's what you would have to have for pipeline, in pi- in pipeline to hit your yeah. goal at a 20% close rate. And you got to massage these numbers for your team. The better you know your team, the better you can track these and it, it's almost like a home thermostat now where like, oh, the house didn't heat up as fast as it was supposed to. There must be something wrong. Hmm. Their pipeline isn't where it's supposed to. I wonder if there's something wrong. So you go sit down with them and they're like, okay, what is your primary way that you're reaching out to people? Well, I've been cold calling. Okay. So how many calls do you make in a day? Well, I make a hundred. How many people do you talk to? 10. That's generous. <laughs> oh, okay. So out of those 10 people, how many make it to a meeting? One. So is it because that hour or however long they spent cold calling that we need to refine the cold calling process? Is it because we have to build a better account list or they're talking to the wrong people in those accounts? This is where we get to play detective. But if we don't outline this process and have those key top level things, we're never tracking the right things to go and both be an asset to the business and the people that we serve. Does that make sense, guys? Yes. <laughs> and so we got to get, we got to stop worrying about the nitty gritty and we got to think higher. And then we got to come down when we need to coach, when we need to support. 
And honestly, this is this is what get, makes me so excited is when somebody goes and tracks their people and they're like, oh, the pipeline's low. And they reach out to me and they're like, hey, my cold calling and my emailing isn't working right now. Can you help me with scripts? And I'll say, well, what if we did that, but we also added in LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. You don't invest in one basket. Why would you invest your time into one basket? Yes. Are you posting on social media? That's something. Are you commenting? Are you part of different communities? It's like, remember when we, back in the day when we were allowed out of the house to go work, we'd have gym memberships to strategically show up in the right places, golf memberships. Know which hotels people hang out in downtown if you have like a territory. Yeah. And so you got to look at it like stackable revenue is Mm -hmm. how do you have these different elements that are leading up to pipeline and that mix is unique to you. And the better you know your market is the better you can define that mix. But this is not what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. What I keep getting told is, you know, we just can't source enough deals. We just can't close the deals that we have. Those are the two things. But that's very surface level. I need deeper knowledge. I need deeper information so that I can go and provide guidance. And this is where the strategy comes in. If it's not your sales manager and your sales manager is purely managing numbers and crunching them for you and and actually turning it into a presentation that you can digest, that is a very valuable role. But somebody else has got to be creating that top line strategy that outlines this because where I'm seeing reps struggle right now is they have no freaking clue what to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because they need more knowledge. And the big part is, I don't even know if it's sales training, but when I started, they gave us metrics to let us know what the best people were doing. So we had numbers to compare against benchmarking. And you, nobody says you can't use this yourself, guys. If you're a, you know, a one-person shop, these all apply to you. You just have to carve out the right time so it doesn't consume you. Mm-hmm. I go and review my numbers every week on Friday. I do my ongoing research all throughout the week, but I compile it on Fridays so that I can start smarter the next week. It has been a complete game changer for me to go and dive into LinkedIn, for us doing this live show, for us going into the podcast, for me doing only certain calls. Certain things are better to actually do a cold call, Mm -hmm. believe it or not. Certain things are better for emails. Uh, Getting a cell phone number after the first LinkedIn interaction is huge because it's a a sign of trust and that's how people like to talk. But I would have never known this without me tracking it. So you got to think of yourself as a sales manager is you're, you're there for performance and profit. What's performing and what's profitable. And the most important thing you need to do when you start a new person is forget fricking product. And it's not that people give a shit about your product. That's not it. The problem is most SDRs don't deserve the right to call the people they're calling because nobody's taught them enough to be valuable. Mm -hmm. This is the issue. We haven't done enough research. We haven't taught them about accounts. They don't know what a profitable account looks like. They don't know who they should be saying no to. This is a hard thing to learn without somebody guiding you. You know, maybe, you know, maybe we got approached by Alphabet, Google, 
and they wanted us to go and run an email campaign for work workplace. Mm-hmm. I would tell them no because I'm not the right person. I would send them to Will. Will Allred. Yeah. Because he is the email guru. But most people, if they're in survival mode and they're not empowered to say no, they'll say yes to that because they want to show you that they're just they're getting work. Yeah. Oh, uh, Kit wrote a nice big comment here. Yes. How can we help? Kit asks, how can we help develop intrinsic motivation in our reps? Larger conversation, intrinsic motivation versus commission-based sales. Um, Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive. He makes a very compelling argument that we need to shift incentive structures away from commission to support the long-term health of the business. That was the full comment. Um, yeah. It's a big it's a big question, Kit. Uh, Nick, do you want to start answering this? Hell yes. Hell yes. Thank you, Kit. Now, now we're getting into the meat and potatoes. I think the best thing you could ever do for your company is get rid of commission and pay a salary and pay competitively. And I know there's going to be a lot of people balking at this because it's hard. But the only way this works is if you take this performance management profitability standpoint on marketing with a better culture oh yeah eddie yeah absolutely <laughs> well good timing buddy yeah and so intrinsically they need to want to be better but they want to be better because of you because of their peers that they're a team what i see right now and this is the problem is because commission makes it about me if i'm not making what i deserve or even just i'm in survival mode i need to pay my bills I don't care about anyone else. And it's not its not being a jerk. It's not being rude. It's the person's in survival mode and they, they have Maslow's IRCURE needs. They need to take care of themselves before they can do better work. Mm-hmm. And so they're just going to do everything they can just to pay their bills. But if we move past that and now we're looking at performance management when the whole team knows what they're doing and they're working as a unit and they're looking at everything without one person just getting in trouble... Now we're taking this so much deeper to such a stronger level where they want to get better so that they can be a contributor to the team. Instead of just justifying their wage, they want to make a name for themselves. They want to be part of that growth. They want to go and create that process or show you that market research or all these things that you're judging instead of just pointing to their income, their results. Um, I think it was Freakonomics that really changed my mind on what you track is the behavior you create. Yep. And so like, even if you just changed your comp plan to retention, that would change everything. If you changed just a salary and you did a team, a team uh, quarterly goal and you paid them out or you did an event, even like it doesn't have to be money. It needs to be shown that you respect them and you appreciate the work they're doing. The problem is when you just make it about money then people make it about money. But, 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 but Nick, I can hear this already. You did a poll about this this week. How else can we get our sales representatives to work hard? Isn't sales just about the hustle? Oh, God. (laughs) Honestly, you need to work hard. Especially when you're starting because there's, it's habit stacking. You got to, and this is why it's so hard and why so many reps fail in their first year is because everybody throws everything at them. It'd be like me trying to go and answer all of these comments all in one try instead of picking one by one or going sentence by sentence. We got to make it digestible. Same with market research. 
So am I learning about my market? Am I learning about my competitors? Am I building that my competitive intelligence? Am I going and looking at accounts and am I building strategies and figuring out if I'm going indirect or direct? Or if I need to go and know, do a know and grow plan because I just need to get in there with some profitable business and prove that I can do what I promise. But yeah, it, we're so far past that now because we don't need to work as hard as we used to because we have access to more information. And the problem is if we're not tracking and working with purpose, we can't refine what we don't know. Like what, what measure is managed? But this is why we got to change this conversation because we have the power to change this as sales managers, as senior leadership, as owners, by what we track our people on. And if I can say anything, top of line, it, if you're just judging the, the individuals, it's pipeline, profit, and retention. Mm-hmm. If retention's not a problem, change it to growth. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they shouldn't be written in stone ever. You need to have the scale and know where you're going so you're constantly evolving. So the metrics can't stay the same either. One but you analogy. might start a junior rep at a different metrics because you're trying to build up their capabilities in small mm-hmm. bite-sized pieces. When I first started at, at in insurance as a career agent, they gave me one miniature product to sell. I thought it was the stupidest things. I would never go and make money. But guess what? After two weeks, I knew that product better than anyone else in the office because it was the smallest, simplest little thing. And I figured out anyone and everyone I could talk to just to go and show that to. But if somebody would have gave me a more complex solution, I would have never done the hard the hard research and figuring out who needs this more than anyone else? Who would actually be excited to talk to me about this that couldn't deny them needing it? But mm-hmm. if we can have these conversations as a team, mm-hmm. we run account strategies as a team, we do deal reviews as a team, if we're doing this, so they're hearing how people are thinking. And the problem with most salespeople, especially right now, is we are left to suffer in silence. Because I have a problem. Who do I tell? Do I go bitch to LinkedIn and go and tell them what's going on? Do I tell my sales manager and have to go and like hurt my ego or worried I'm going to get fired? And and yeah, Tiffany, better culture high reward in the long long run. Absolutely. Because if it's not a safe environment to learn, how is it a safe environment to work and grow? Because beyond financial compensation, the biggest thing you need to provide is the ability to grow from where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, if you start with, with A with me, I should be at least be able to get you to B or C. You shouldn't be going back. Right. And like with, even with sales, Think about your people. With sales, we have to prove value. We have to quantify value and show that once we sold something that there was an actual, the value that we promised is achieved. Mm-hmm. How do you do that with your salespeople? One company that just comes to mind as you're talking about this that I always liked, and they were sort of at the, let's see here, back in 2014 or 15, I think when WeWork was really big or becoming big, their culture playbook was becoming big. One thing that per- began to permeate a lot of uh, startup life and, and companies is that we're family. You know, <laughs> We want to treat our employees like they're family. And this company, uh, which is eShares at the time, but it's now called Carta, and they do all sorts of uh, 
equity cap table management for startups, the CEO said, basically, that's just a bunch of BS. You shouldn't want to work for a company that thinks like your family. You want to play on a sports team. Because family, uh, the, he pointed out, you know, family has awkward arrangements around boundaries. Uh, family has strange, <laughs> <laughs> you know, modes around how you resolve conflict. But when you're, a, when you're on a sports team, you play a game and then you go home. You're not always on. You're not always a part of the family. You you show up to work. You play your hardest, and then you go home. And I think lots and lots and lots of companies, and let alone sales teams, would benefit from thinking about how are we playing like a team? Because one thing in the remote world, which was not or as true in the physical world, when companies actually got together in person and worked together, and you had five, six, seven sales professionals sharing a space together, is how do you know everybody else is playing at their best? What does that look like? What, you know, what are they saying that's making them perform well? How are we supporting each other? When you're on the field, we'll just use, uh, well, in America, soccer, but you know, football to the rest of the world, for an example. When you're on the field, you know who's carrying their weight and who isn't. You know what, how people are behaving. You see them show up. And, and that's the reason that that's more difficult in virtual is there. it's not because the technology doesn't exist, and it's definitely not because it's not possible. It is because there is not intentionally created spaces by management to do exactly what Nick said, deal reviews as a team, account strategy as a team, shared insights as a team. And guess what? Those meetings are not going to be hour-long Round robin updates. You know, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What did you do? What did you do? That's not super helpful. You can do that in a Slack channel. People can post their updates on a day. Like if we take a page out of Priya Parker's handbook, The Art of Gathering, the point is to get together, set an expectation for the space, share some stuff, and get to work. And get to work in that sense is not let's go cold call together while we're on a Zoom call. It's like let's share that space intentionally. Whether it's an hour-long Zoom call or a strategy session that's hybrid or however you need to structure it, that gets people out of the day-to-day whirlwind and into the bigger picture thinking, which is, how am I becoming better as a salesperson? How am I developing my own skills? How am I understanding our product, our accounts, our market better? And supporting each of your team members in doing that. That is the foundation of, I believe, great team success. Whether you're playing a support, whether you're playing sales, or the great game of business, whatever it is, that's where it starts. That's the foundation. Well said. Rant over. <laughs> Rant over. It was Rant funny over. when I was running Sales Unicorn and I had my, I, I ran a morning meeting. I don't even know why I decided to do it. And I made it stupid early, just so it wasn't in, in the way of anybody's day. And I made it optional. Hmm. And so people would come and all I wanted to know is what was your win from yesterday? What is one thing you need? Is, do you need help with anything? And what's your focus for today? Mm-hmm. Three things. And I eventually they asked me because they wanted to do something for learning and I would act, we'd host a learning portal where somebody would either present or we'd watch a YouTube video and learn together. I had a hundred percent of people show up for a morning meeting and we're excited and actually we're disappointed when we had to cancel them. Mm -hmm. So this is something to look at. Like 
how are you communicating? Where are you showing up? What types of meetings are you running? And what's the point of the meeting? Is it to penalize people and shame them in front of all their peers, which is a very common sales tactic by sales managers is public shaming. The reason why also people hate role-playing is because people try to sandbag them and look, make them look like an idiot. Sports teams don't do that. They don't walk in and like punch the person out and let them leave them laying on the ground because, oh, you didn't see that coming? Like it, It's not how the game is played, so why would you practice that way? It's just ignorant and rude. Uh, if I could open the soapbox, I would say too, be very careful and kit. This is something, if you want to message me later and we can talk about it, how are you developing quota? One of the most ignorant things you can do is base their comp- a salesperson's compensation on commission and then change it as you go or as you please because they're making too much or something changes. Yeah. They've based their entire... And the reason why it makes them so mad is you showed them how to make money. You showed them what they were being judged on and then you decided that it wasn't good enough. And what Nobody I see likes all the time, the rug pulled out from under them. No. And what I keep seeing is this, it creates this culture of where senior leadership says, okay, our goal is 10 million. And collectively, we have 10 salespeople. Instead of making their quota a million dollars, we're going to make it five. Yeah. <laughs> or three, or like these ridiculously, hopelessly stupid numbers that don't actually tie to the strategy. They're arbitrary Mm -hmm. and they'll be different for different people. Mm -hmm. Well, that is how they make a living is they have to hit a certain level before they actually make money. So why not make it based on the the goal of the actual year? So if your goal is to make a million dollars, that's how you intrinsically get people celebrating is when everybody's trying to get that million dollars and everybody has their own piece. And they see you supporting everyone else and celebrating those wins as a team, not as an individual, but also support the individuals that need help. We can't make it this like a one person show. It has to be a team sport. But if we treat it as an individual show or make people fearful, it will always be suffer in silence. Shut up and go back to your corner and call. Yep. And that just doesn't work, especially now when people have access with their internet to go anywhere, you gotta, we gotta really pay attention how we show up for them or else they're going to go somewhere better, somewhere that pays better mm-hmm. or whatever shiny thing that gets their attention. The reality is too, I think um, that comes to mind as you said, that is I, I think people underestimate not always, but generally I see a lot of people underestimate the willingness of others to do their part. They're ready. I mean, and and if we start, this is a this is a mindset thing more than anything in my view. If you start with the expectation that other people are just ready to show up and do their part, then anytime somebody says no or like doesn't show up, it's not a oh my god, you're a horrible person. Why won't you be a part of the team? Sort of shaming exercise that gets played a lot. It's oh, this is a coachable moment. What do they need? Because I mean, generally speaking, most people are ready to show up and do work. So maybe it's just an off day for them, or maybe they've got a lot going on in their life, or maybe they're super distracted because they're 
I mean, let's just pull the extraneous example. Their grandmother ended up in the hospital due to COVID, right? Like any time that we start from the expectation that the teams we build are good because we have good hiring, we found the right talent, they're fairly skilled enough, and whatever skills they don't have, we can coach them through those. Then anytime things go awry or those team members aren't up to performance or however you want to phrase that, it's not a bad thing. It's not a, oh my God, you're so horrible. It's, okay, this is a coachable moment. Let's see what's going on in their life. How can we change? What do they need? What support do they need? Because generally speaking, they're really on top of their game. But obviously right now, that's not true. So how can we support them? And not just we, this is the crucial part too. It's not just we as the sales manager. It is we as the team. Because ultimately in companies, there are power imbalances. That's just the nature of hierarchy and the fact that some people have more power than others. It's also that people feel, and Kit just commented this on my feed, so you, you stole my thunder by just about three seconds, was um, people want to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. They want to feel like they're part of a group of people who care about them. And so if your sales manager is the only one who's supporting you, that's not culture. If your sales team and your fellow SDRs are celebrating your wins as much as you are celebrating theirs, that's culture because everyone's bought into it. And that's just, and it's hard. I mean, let's not gloss over this, Nick. You know this as well as I do. It is difficult and it is a daily practice and nobody does it perfectly. There's yet to, I've yet to find a company that has the perfect company culture. It's just, it's, and that's because we as people are imperfect. But as long as we show up and do our best, and all do our best means is whatever we can do on that day, we're doing our best job, then we might be able to nail it and really support people in their own careers. Anyways. So I was thinking about this as you were talking. What is the most common thing? that I hear from salespeople when they feel like they can be honest or they can be vulnerable. Any guesses? What? Um, no, I, I'm really interested to hear. And it actually is almost exclusively this. I don't know who to call. Yeah. Sales managers. One of the biggest reasons your team is not performing is because they don't know what a good fit looks like. Nor do they know who to say no to. And so they default to working hard, showing activity, but sometimes just to justify space because they don't know how to do how to ask. They don't know who to target. So who should they be calling? And Morgan, you had hinted on it earlier, is win-loss analysis is a great way to do this. But do it as a team. This is another thing. Going back to what Kit was saying. When you guys do these strategic initiatives. Do not cut them out. Oh we did market research. Here's your information. Shut up and go. <laughs> it's not what you say. But it's what it feels like. Because you excluded them. It's their livelihood. It's their reputation. When they're always getting told what to do. Or they're handed sequences they have no control over, yet it's their reputation. Because essentially, if I send something out and it burns my name, people blame me more than they blame the company. Because I'm the person they're talking to. People don't talk to companies. They talk to people. So remember, the greatest fear for salespeople 
is I don't know who to talk to. Want to jump into this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What had just uh, popped into my mind was uh, (laughs) a little peek behind the curtain when it comes to uh, marketing strategy development. But most of the time, I learned this from a very wise mentor of mine in, in marketing. And he always said that most of the time, marketing strategists know within the first couple of meetings what the company actually needs to do. And in my experience, that's fairly true as a brand strategist. I can sit down with a company and in a couple hours, I know exactly what they need to do. The problem is they're not enrolled in their own journey yet. And so a lot of marketing strategy and facilitation and strategic conversations and workshops and all the rest of that is not actually about developing ideas. It is sometimes about developing ideas and sometimes there's like great wild cases that come out of it. But most of the time it is getting people enrolled, excited, interested, engaged in what they're going to do. Because at the end of the day, to what Nick had just said, if a company gives their sales team market research and says, go after these firms, everyone will comply. Everyone will say, sure, all right, I'll go do it. But they're not going to be enrolled or engaged in the why. But instead, if you took just a few extra hours, it's not that much time, if you think about it, of everyone's time, and you in- engaged them in the creation of that, and then got their feedback and had some conversations around it, they're going to feel 10 times more engaged and enrolled in the companies they're going to go after. Not because it's the end strategy is going to be any different, but it's because they feel like they're a part of creating something. And anytime you've created something, like I can tell you, the, the reason, well, there's a couple of reasons. The reason home-baked bread tastes better is because you made it. Right? You could buy, and certainly there's like exceptions to the rule. And sometimes there are just amazing patisseries or bakeries that just like make out of this world treats. But generally speaking, mom's banana bread tastes better than anybody else's because it's mom's banana bread. Or if you made it, it's your banana bread and it's going to taste better. And it's just how we work. And as long as we honor and respect and engage that principle, our teams are going to perform so much better. Amen. Thank you. Uh, any other question. things when it comes to managing wanna, a remote sales team? I want to go and dive into Kit's question because I actually, I think this is a really great question that I don't hear oh, enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When can sales rep turnover be a positive thing? Very simple answer. When it's not a good fit for you or the com- for them or the company. So I'll give you a couple different examples. So you hire a really junior salespeople or sales salesperson and you're in a company where you can't afford to spend time with them to teach them the basics. You're not firing them because they're bad. You're just not, fi- you're fi- it's just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe your preferred method or your preferred market is outside of their wheelhouse and they're not interested in changing. No problem. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better for us to part ways. So you got to think about why is it a good fit for you to work together? If there isn't a fit, then it naturally should part. And that is a positive thing because it respects both parties. Uh, you might actually have too senior of a salesperson 
and they're used to doing more strategy work and they haven't dove into the tactics in a long time. And you might have to put them in an uncomfortable spot where they're going to have to go and check their ego and they just won't do anything. I've seen that before as well. And so them leaving was positive because there was a better role for them out there and it wasn't what the company needed. But it's not because the person was wrong or the company was wrong. It just wasn't a good fit. And when you don't openly mock them or you don't make it about that person, it also goes back to your culture that you're showing people it's okay if it's not a good fit. It's okay to say no because you're not going to go and penalize Mm -hmm. them for it. And so, and honestly, sometimes sales just isn't for people. Mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people that are really scared to go and talk to people for that, that start that first conversation because one of the greatest fears of people is rejection. They want to be accepted by their peers and those that they're talking to. And some people just can't shake that and it really haunts them. Well, if they, if you ask, say like it's not a good fit because you've tried working with them, that's okay. It's, it's just the way you frame it is so critical to developing culture going forward and you got to remember it's not about this one moment it's not about that one email it's not about that one it's the string of events that build culture yes and if we forget that this is when we go offside and the only way to fix it is to burn it to the ground and rebuild it because this is why huge companies have such a hard time changing is because there's there's too much that's set in motion it's like trying to stop a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. There's too much momentum. Well, yeah, and also like the old brilliant jerk principle, which is you should probably fire every brilliant jerk <laughs> that works for you um, because they set the wrong tone for your culture. And and for those unfamiliar, brilliant jerks are the problem of high producers who are also assholes. Um and 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 in in my view, I agree with a lot of the leadership coaches out there that it's it's probably best for a growing company to fire every brilliant jerk that they have, not because those brilliant jerks don't produce, but because they set the wrong cultural tone. And you're going to hire other people who are not brilliant jerks. That's you know that they're a subset of all people, and they are going to feel disrespected and not happy in their job, and that leads to a whole other turnover and a much higher cost for your company. And Eddie had commented on your feed, Nick, that sales is not for everyone. Dead on, Eddie. Yeah. Um, it's not, and that's okay. Some people just aren't the right fit. Some people don't have the right skills, right uh, mindset. Some people don't have the right background. Some people don't have. Um, the right interest or it's not the right time. I've worked with clients three years after I first met them because the first time they met, we met together just wasn't the right fit. And then come down the line, now it's the right fit. And that, that's a good thing too for even salespeople. Sometimes it's just not right then. And oh, for so, a sale? Absolutely. Yeah. Or even just for them. Mm-hmm. It takes some people develop faster. Some people get different things easier. And with that said, Eddie has said, you know, please make sure you make people understand that there's money. There's really good money in sales if you treat it as a profession. Mm -hmm. If you treat it as a hobby or you treat it like your get quick uh, income 
you know, get rich income. Sc- oh my goodness gracious! It's at the get end of the rich show, quick I- income scheme. Yes. Yeah. Then that's how it comes across to people, and you'll never make money because it's it. You have selfish intent. Mm-hmm. And so we got to respect the profession by making sure the right people are supported. We got to go and respect the profession by being honest with people that aren't in alignment or a good fit. And we need to change it to a team atmosphere where it's less about the individual and it's more about the sum of everyone, how we're working and moving forward as a team. And that comes by tracking the right things and go over to like, look at market people and process in particular people you should be looking at pipeline close rate and retention you could even make if closing isn't an issue change it to profit profit's a really good thing to be tracking and most companies don't and that's a problem if retention's not an issue change it to growth be dynamic in what you're tracking and have purpose for tracking the numbers so that when you see something that doesn't measure up that you're able to have those tough conversations or at least you can help them in a way that is meaningful. And that is how we get past the haunted sales manager, you know, jerk mentality and becoming that team player that people respect and honor by working hard and wanting to be part of their team and seek you out because of that word of mouth travels, not just in sales, but also in employment. Mm -hmm. And then if we're talking about process, break down the process into the different steps to see if the process is working or if it needs to be fixed, not the person market people process. Morgan, anything you want to add? One last thought that just popped into my mind as we close out. If you move your sales team to salary based compensation and you're still worried about performance incentives, there are tons and tons of ways around that. (laughs) I mean, one of my, there's profit sharing plans you could even consider. And that's something you should, you could think about for your whole company if you're at the right level or open up a conversation with the rest of your company if you're at the right level. If you string, you know, and it doesn't have to be equity based compensation or options or anything. Like you could be a bootstrapped company and you could still offer a profit sharing plan in which people just reap the rewards of their own work. Uh, And, and that's because, They're getting better at sales, they're getting better at marketing, they're getting better at operations, they're becoming more cost-effective, whatever it is, they're becoming more efficient with their time. That usually shows up in your financials. And commission is not the only way that sales teams should be incentivized, arguably at all. And there are so many more psychological, emotional, and cultural factors that motivate people in companies, whether or not they're in sales, that are at least 80% of your effort. Commission is the cherry on top from an organizational perspective, even if from an individual, that's where they're laser focused on. And yeah, that that was my last thought. One of the best ones I ever saw was a company after a year of being there, they looked at your contribution. They had some, I don't know exactly how they did the performance number, Mm -hmm. but it was basically a profit share and they put it into an account for you. Wow. And so every year you were allowed to pull out one third of what was in that account. That's but if you cool. left, you walked away from whatever was in that account. And Powerful. after like two or three years, it was substantial. Oh, yeah. I always thought it was one of the most clever things in terms of how to go and incentivize with money and also retain mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But also think about doing team events. Why do President's Club 
Why did those work? It wasn't because of the financial rewards. It was getting recognized for doing good work, getting a vaca- well heart, like hard earned vacation. And one of the things that's so funny that I, I just realized this not too long ago was one of the things I, I loved about winning those events was getting access to good training. Because mm-hmm. most of the time training was put up on this pedestal that we never had access to it until we were actually doing well. So the people that needed it never had access to it. And the people that were doing well got like performance boosters, basically. So mm-hmm. how you how you reward performance, how you go and work with the team has a huge impact. Totally. Well, thank you to everyone who joined us today. It's just a joy for all of your questions. Thank you and comments. Um, as always, you can go to b2bpowerhour.com to check out the full archive of our live shows and podcast episodes and great interviews that both Nick and I have had over the past couple of months and continue to have. Uh, we have some exciting episodes coming out soon, so make sure to check that out on your favorite platform. And uh, otherwise, happy new year to everyone. Happy 2022. And uh, we'll see you next week. Happy selling, guys. And if you need help, reach out. Happy to help you. Absolutely. Take care. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.